everybody and happy Saturday. I am sports family therapist, couple marriage and family therapist as well, Dr. Lauren D. Pitts. That's my Santa Claus. And I'm frozen, I believe. Yeah, I'm, you, 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 I look frozen. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. He has to uninstall morning, Zoom and reinstall it because their updates are cut. See, don't put the terrorist picture out. We almost scare people. <laughs> <laughs> do that no more people, people think the show is taking a shift quit doing that that's just my that's my g that's my gq my you know hey. <laughs> you know what you see is what you get ladies all right what you see is what you get <laughs> man how are you this morning you know how i am i ain't said nothing i was I, good you don't have all week you 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 don't have to it's i was good all week ladies and gentlemen ask dr pitts ask dr pitts i didn't send one derogatory message to dr lauren denise pitts i did not send one now um Brother and Eric, uh, uh, yeah, no, he told me that you has that you had started. Justin, he came in early. He, he was like, Wait, he's like, What is up with your boy? I said, What are you talking about? He said, Ronnie Ransom Jr. <laughs> I said, Oh boy, I said, He done sent you shenanigans. He said, He's starting <laughs> his shenanigans. Look, Ronnie, I got a, I have a client that's diehard, diehard Raiders fan. So he and his wife gonna come in the session yesterday. To, well, actually, I got have. A couple of them working with two that are 49ers fans. And uh-huh. he logs in on time. Let's start with them first. She logs in on time. And he takes I said, what is he doing? Like he knew. So here he comes. Look, in the house, Ronnie. Got his got his ski hat on, 49ers, the set of football right up in the screen. Got his uh-huh. little blanket. I said, really, that's what we're doing today. He said, Oh, Dr. Bruce, I, I didn't say anything. I was like, oh, you said it. <laughs> you just didn't say it. You just didn't say it. And then the, the fan that's the, the client that's the Raiders fan, he's gonna say, I told my wife when I heard that explosion, I said, I think Dr. Pitts just blew up AT&T Stadium. I said, that's what we're doing. That's what, that's what we're doing. Like, okay. Y'all got that off. I'm not even gonna entertain you know, Your husband has texted me. I couldn't even be mad if that makes sense. Your your husband had texted me and was like, throwing those pics didn't help. I was like, it helped me. <laughs> it's like oh my goodness I, I i just it's like you know what it is it is what you, it is you know i will say this though i will say this i um, thought they played well initially they did no i would say the defense hey look y'all they behind y'all's <laughs> defense can't y'all's defense gave it its all they did like i mean in, in, they put, in i was i was pleased i was really in really, all really seriousness pleased. y'all's defense gave it its all i think I think a couple things. I think a couple things went wrong. Number one. Can I tell you first? Can no, I tell you what I think he went wrong, and then you rebut? Absolutely. I think that we clearly know that Dax picks did not help. I think that there was, and this is just me. This because I literally, I kid you not. I when the game went off, I turned the TV off, and the only time I have turned the TV on is to watch reruns of In the Heat of the Night and Lol Nor I literally have deliberately not watched ESPN or anything else because I did not want to have my spirit vexed all week. But this is what, so I say all this to say that this is just my own analysis, not anything that I heard anybody say. I believe that there's poor clock management. 
I believe mm -hmm. I don't understand and I want you to explain to me and maybe this just makes me my normal, you know, high strung self. But if you can go for it on fourth and eight, fourth and three and whatever that other fourth and short was, why would you not go for the two point conversion when you know that your kicker has been playing like trash? And I don't care that he made the other kick later on, like he's been playing like trash. If you can be that aggressive with that far to go, why not go for a two point conversion that's right there? I, I just conceptually, I do not understand that. The other thing is, is that yet again, we're coming down to the white and I'm like, what is up? Like they are milking the heck out of this clock and we are struggling to stop the run. What are we doing? There's times that they threw the ball. Like when Dak threw that first pick, I said, how come that wasn't a run play? I, I, I just didn't understand that. And I, and I hear, you know, you know, that we're going to keep encouraging him to play aggressive and, and this chance to, and I get all that, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to, I, I just, I don't understand. I don't, I just, I don't understand. I, I don't know if Kellen Moore is, is interviewing for head coaching positions or not, but I really would like to see somebody else play home. I feel you. Um, so a couple of takeaways I took from the game. Um, Vegas definitely has y'all's kicker on payroll. Um, cause look, first he was on Tampa Bay Buccaneers payroll. Now he on Vegas. He on Vegas payroll. Because <laughs> the bookies threatened to kill his entire family. Had to <laughs> something, something, man. Because I'm talking about you talking about you talking about selling. Mm. But so outside of that, I think you never. I don't. I don't think you all ever got a fair chance to establish the run game. And mm -hmm. this is a proven this is a proven fact with the Cowboys since Dak Prescott has been the quarterback. Anytime you all rush for a hundred yards in a game, whether it's regular season or postseason, I think y'all are like 21 and one or 22 yeah. and one or something like that. Yeah. In other words, when you when you run the ball, establish the run, and have a credible threat for a play action, that can do damage. A lot Probably of being hurt, hurt. Big time. And, it, and it's crazy it, when it, they say he it, when he um fractured his ankle because I saw the now granted yeah. I always I, I I hate you know that style of tackling like when they kind of mm -hmm. wrap around they kind of like and twist drop. you yeah mm -hmm. I get it you trying to get them down to the ground but typically your momentum kind of carries you under them to like kind of undercut them mm -hmm. and I mean you know like you're not a feather so you're not just gonna fall off of them you're gonna fall on the ankles and so that was an unfortunate injury. Mm. Um, it looked exactly like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it looked because uh, I was watching that game, um, and that looked almost identical to that. There was another. Um, there was just somebody else a few weeks ago who had the same exact injury. Mm -hmm. Um, they didn't fracture it or anything, but yeah, they mm -hmm. sprained it pretty bad. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think not having that, and then I mean Zeke, like we said last week, Zeke is just kind of like you know. He got his money and he good, you know, in his mind, mm -hmm. he got his 60 million. He good to go. Um, so I think not being able to establish the run game, put a lot of pressure on Dak to have to be the one to deliver. Now I like Dak as a quarterback. I think Dak is a, at best above average quarterback. He'll win you a lot of ball games in the regular season. If you have weapons around him, they'll throw for a lot of yards. You know, he might have maybe 30, 35 touchdowns. 
this season, you know, he got very, you know, uh, interception happy, which is, you know, kind of not like his game, but this season, definitely that was exposed. Can I ask you a question about that real quick? Sure. Because we, and you and I have talked about it before the show, you know, in the past few weeks that with the exception of the one interview coming into the 49ers game, um, RG3 was the one that did uh, a great explanation of how having surgery on your thumb can impact your grip in the whole nine yards. <clears throat> what I didn't know, it wasn't until Aaron Andrews interviewed that, that, it, and I guess maybe other people knew, but I had not heard anybody say it publicly, nor had I read it anywhere, that he has a plate in his hand. Oh, really? Yes. He has a metal plate. He has a metal plate in his ankle and he has a metal plate in the, somewhere in this part of his hand. It makes me wonder, and this is not an excuse. This is an, a sincere question. I wonder if he wasn't as well as they wanted people to believe. And, and my, my, my reasoning behind that is clinically, if you, if you go on and you should probably put up on YouTube, if you, I want your clinical perspective, if you take a look at it, if you look at that interview with Aaron Andrews, when she asked him about whether or not the thumb was a factor in all the interceptions, every, his whole, everything shifted. And he said, no, but his eyes said, yes, as you know, as clinicians, right, we're right. looking at nonverbals and everything else. His entire demeanor shifted when she asked him if the injury that he has sustained was impacting at all. And he said, no, but I don't believe that that was a truthful response. Probably, and I everything mean, about his nonverbals and his eye, like you look at it, everything about his posture shifted and the look in his eyes, like he even dropped his head a little bit. And he was like, no, I'm like, yeah, I'm not buying it. I think he was, I, I think that he, that there was a lot more going on with the hand and the thumb that impacted sure. him, but they're not going to say it. <clears throat> oh yeah, they're not. And, I, and I'm sure, um, you know, at, at that point in the season, nobody's a hundred percent. You know, yeah. if you, hell, right. if you probably at seventy percent. You know, that's probably the closest to hundred you're gonna get at that point in the season. Um, but even, I, I mean, honestly, even outside of that, like we have seven years of work of Dak Prescott now. We have a large sample size of his work, mm -hmm. and what remains to be true is that when they can't establish a run game, they don't do well. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the play. And I said, I think I said this last week or two weeks ago. The one thing about the NFL, no matter how, no matter how many points they score, no matter how many glitz and glamorous it gets at the end of the day, and we'll see that this weekend too. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, no matter how great your offense is, no matter how great your quarterback is, if you cannot run the ball and make the defense play honest coverage, you're not going to win. Struggle. And if your mm -hmm. defense can't stop the run, especially in the playoffs. You're going to be sitting on the couch with me and Dr. Pitts. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. Mm -hmm. So I think losing, I think losing Pollard, Zeke really not being effective. And then, I, I mean, hey, like <laughs> the 49ers defense is just, I mean, it, it's it's legit. Like, I mean, yeah. every every position group they have on their defense has an all pro at it. They have a He was running for his life the majority of the game. He has a first-team All-Pro on the defensive line. They got a first-team All-Pro at linebacker. They got mm -hmm. a first-team All-Pro at safety. Like, San Francisco's defense is just loaded. Mm -hmm. And when you expect the quarterback to drop back 35, 40 times and think you're going to pick them apart, yeah. 
And I mean, also too, the other thing as well too, and I and I know you, and I'm pretty sure you probably lost it when you saw this. Um, it was early in the game. I want to say it was like maybe first or second quarter when Brock Purdy had um, threw the pass and old boy deflected it and it mm-hmm. went right through Trayvon Diggs' hands. Oh, like, I did. I, like, I literally right. sat up and slammed my hands down. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It's because there were, there were a few of those. Any there other game, of those any other week I'm of like, the season, really? that's a, that's an interception for him. Like that's. Yep. What that's about when he, there, when, when um, I want to say it was one of the punt returns. No, it wasn't the punt return. It was the first pick. And I said, cause Eric had said that he, or I think you said it too. Trayvon Diggs does not like getting hit. Mm, he and doesn't. he, when that first pick came and he had a chance to hit the player. It was like somebody else came from across the field and knocked him out of bounds. Trayvon, it was almost like he went like this. Are you talking about when Kittle had the one hand to he uh, bottom yeah. of the catch to him? It was like the key. Yeah. Like he went yeah, like this. He came, he came right past me. him. Yeah, and I'm like. 10 years just, ago, Ten years ago, Kittle got laid out in the middle of that field and I'm for like, that catch. Mm, okay, so, so we don't, we don't want to hit people today. I definitely think, you know, so, you know, I say all that to say, to answer your question too about y'all's coaching staff, I seen y'all got rid of like 10 people off the staff. They fired I, like 10 people. I ain't even gonna but, lie. So the, the here, little the, red, the numbers it, are still on my app because I haven't even read it. Like uh, I'm I'm still in my feelings, so I haven't read let it. Let me yet. let me give you let me give you an interesting perspective of what I think y'all might do. So y'all kept McCarthy, and apparently Jerry Jones is you know now saying that you know McCarthy can stay here as long as uh Tom Landry did. You fired Landry on your first day on the job, so I highly doubt that. See, McCarthy has my hypothesis is is that if we don't do anything next season, McCarthy's going to find out on talk radio he doesn't have a job. Yeah, and then the other the other surprising not surprising, but I think this is kind of the setup here. The defensive coordinator Dan Quinn mm-hmm. told all the people he interviewed with this week that he's staying in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody you know is thinking. That once again, if McCarthy he's gonna step up and be the head coach if McCarthy gets fired, right? You know, Mm -hmm. because he did have success in Atlanta when he was the head coach, he did have Mm -hmm. the he made it to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think if you can keep that defensive nuclear together for Mm -hmm. one more year, you know, and I think y'all have the draft in the draft, in the draft, we need to be getting some defensive players. I think if y'all can get old boy from Texas, uh, B. John Robinson, the running back, because he was the best running back in the country for college last year. If y'all can get somebody like him, or there's another running back from um, Alabama, always got a, a good running back. I can't think of the mm-hmm. boy name, but Alabama always got a good running back. There's a couple. There's a couple decent running backs in this year's draft that if y'all can get somebody, I think Zeke. Apparently Zeke said he's gonna take less money. You think? Obviously, like. <laughs> What you thought? Because he don't want to play for nobody else. I, honestly, it's not even about playing for nobody else. Would he play again? Running backs are dinosaurs now. Running backs, yeah. running back shelf life is those first three to four years mm-hmm. of your NFL and career. After that, you trend is no yeah. longer for a running back in the NFL when you hit 30, you decline. Now mm-hmm. it's when you're 25, 26. It's over. You hit the wall. And then nobody's trying to pay you 15, 20 million. So yeah. Um, so yeah, um, we'll get back to the other the conference championship games this um this uh, before we close out for today. 
Yeah, I did want to. I did want to bring this to your attention though, and get your get your thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I don't know if you saw the end of December. Um, Bethune Cookman hired uh, you know former NFL player Ed Reed to be the head coach and everything, right? I did see that. Yep, I said, you, you know, sent it every, to me. Yeah, everybody was excited. Everybody was happy mm-hmm. and whatnot. Well, um, the last couple weeks um, have not been ideal for uh, the Cook, the Bethune Cookman uh, family and Ed Reed. Um, so, for those who have not seen what's going on, so um, from my understanding, Bethune Cookman and Ed Reed had an agreement verbally about him becoming the new head coach. No, no contract was signed. No paperwork was done. Who does that? Just like, just like a handshake deal, like you know. Hey, yeah, you're going to be the new head coach. We got you, big dog. Yeah, all right, bet. So, you know, Ed Reed's like, all right, you know, cool. You know, pull up on campus, get started. Then out of nowhere on a, I forgot what day of the week it was. I follow Ed Reed on Instagram. He went live on Instagram. Lost it. Started wilding. School ain't got this. They not doing that. We out here picking up trash. They ain't even clean my office out. Like just losing it on Instagram live. So next day come out, he put out an apology video. You know, I'm sorry for what I said, you know, all those type of things and, you know, X, Y, and Z. A few days later. Black folks hold grudges. <laughs> a few days later, it comes out that Bethune-Cookman announces that they are not going to retain Ed Reed as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in his exit meeting with the players, and, I, and I'm not shocked, but um coldly enough Bethune Cookman delivered this news hours before he had a bunch of recruits coming in for recruiting weekend so families had already traveled already getting off the plane pulling up at the hotel and stuff now they find out he's not about to be the head coach anymore and they're literally on the way to campus so in his last meeting on campus he has I think some some current players there and a lot of the recruits and their parents there and for everybody who saw the video and everything, it's like nine minutes long. He's just going off, you know, saying, you know, what was not being done on campus, what was, you know, this and that and everything, you know, this, that, and the third. Um, and it was an unfortunate event, you know, and then they interviewed the, I think the interim president or the interim provost or something mm-hmm. from Bethune Cookman. And he mm-hmm. was like, yeah, I'm the one who said Ed Reed ain't coming back X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since then there's been a fallout. Um, one of the things that Ed Reed had mentioned in his um, last in his last meeting with the players was talking about how, you know, players don't have enough equipment and everything. You know, they, you know, sharing equipment and sharing helmets. Bethune Cookman was like, oh, no, nah, that, you know, there ain't nothing like that going on. Oddly enough, somebody had a video from when they played on ESPN and they had to blow a timeout because players had to run back to the sideline and trade helmets with somebody who needed to be in the game. Oh my gosh. And, you know, so now the, and then now the students have been protesting all week because they've been complaining about mold and stuff in their, uh, in the dorm rooms and everything that powered all over again. Right. So, but we've, so we've heard this before, right? This is not nothing new. Right. And, you know, both of us being HBCU alum and everything, Mm -hmm. we know, and I, I always tell people this from the outside looking in, and I think this is kind of a, I don't want to compare this to all black families, but I think I think I can safely say that when you look at a black family from the outside looking in, it's like the what, what you would you think of the essence of like the ideal family. Everybody's happy, everybody's laughing, joking, hanging out, getting together, all that type of stuff. Then you get in the family, 
And you're like, oh, y'all are crazy. Kind of like an HBCU. This ain't the Cosby show. This kind of like HBCUs in a sense, right? And, I, and I'm not, and so yeah, I'm what I'm about to say, I'm not bashing HBCUs, but I want to I want to highlight a few things for people out there. You know, first and foremost, let me say this. First and foremost, there is absolutely nothing stopping Ed Reed yesterday, today, or tomorrow to make a financial contribution to Bethune-Cookman University or any HBCU for that matter. There's mm-hmm. absolutely nothing stopping him from making that because he made it very clear he was there for the kids. He was there for the players. It's about the players. It's about the students. Okay, once again, to my knowledge, there is no restriction. There is no uh, uh, withholdings from your bank account to transfer money from your bank account to the university as a donation to help out the kids, the players, the students, X, Y, and Z. Didn't they say Coach Prime put a lot of his own money into Jackson State before he left? Like he, I mean, that was in the news all the time that that he was, in essence, doing a lot of funding of that program. Absolutely. And so uh, um, a professor from Virginia State, Dr. Uh, Wes Bellamy, um, he's actually in charge of the political science department over there. Mm-hmm. He, um, he tweeted out a few things that I didn't even know about this. Uh, but we all know that, you know, state funded HBCUs are severely underfunded by the states that they're in. Right. Mm-hmm. We see that Tennessee State is fighting over 200 million from the state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you know, in the last two years that. Uh, Bethune-Cookman has only gotten $17 million allocated to them from the state of Florida. How's that possible? $17 million. Do you know that for a modern, a modern dorm, just a regular base modern dorm for today's mm. students to either remodel or build one from the ground up on average costs $200 million plus? Now, here's something else. University of Miami. I didn't know this. They're a private school. They're a private, mm-hmm. they're a private college in the state mm-hmm. of Florida. Do you know that um, Governor Rob DeSantis of Florida in the state of Florida has given the University of Miami over $100 million in that same time frame? I'm not surprised. Now, to my knowledge, because in the way the state of Virginia works is in the state of Virginia, if you're a private college, you on your own. <laughs> barring any natural disasters, barring look, look, your boosters don't write them checks, you sure. <laughs> and Virginia has two private HBCUs in the state, Virginia Union, Virginia Union and Hampton University. Those are both private schools. I can assure you the state mm. of Virginia ain't cut them no checks. So I say all that to say is, you know, here's here's my issue with with, with what's been going on with this whole every situation. We know, we all know, if you've been to an HBCU, graduated from one, work at one, we all know that historically and systemically, all HBCUs, private or public, oftentimes do not have the proper funding or proper resources for their school. We all know this. We didn't need him to get on Instagram Live, Facebook Live, Twitter Live, any live to tell us things that we already know to be true. I have I have said this on numerous occasions. When I first got to Virginia State in 2011, 
if social media was as popping then as it is now, you think mold was the least, you think the mold was our problem? Man, we had water bugs and roaches the size of my fist escorting us down the hallways. You so like I kid you not, like our dorm, our dorm bathrooms used to be atrocious. Now the lady who used to clean our dorm room my freshman year, bless her heart, because we put her through hell. Like, bless, I don't know her name. I will remember what she looked like, but bless her heart, we put her through hell. And she did the best she could with what she had. And but I mean, it wasn't enough. So I say all that to say. We can continue to embarrass these HBCUs on a public platform. We can continue to point our finger and, and say what's wrong with them and say what they don't got and say what they don't have and stuff like that. Or, or be a part of the solution. We can be a part of the solution. Now, once again, I'll say this one more time. Ed Reed, to my knowledge, there is nothing stopping you from making a financial contribution to Bethune-Cookman University or any other HBCU for that matter. And if you already have, hey, kudos to you. Thank you, brother. We appreciate that. And I and I hope that the school, any money that you donate to them or give to them, I hope they allocate those funds to the proper people necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, we know this is a systemic problem with our HBCUs. We know this is an issue with a lot of our, I can't tell you how many articles I see year in and year out about so many HBCUs struggling just to stay open. And some more, I mean, it seems like every year something's closing. I like, I know for a fact, Elizabeth City been on the chopping block for about the last 10 years. Shaw been closing or losing block. accreditation. Right. Lincoln University, chopping block. Cheney mm-hmm. University, I think Cheney actually ended up shutting down a few years ago because mm-hmm. they couldn't stay open. And Cheney was the first HBCU in the country. So, I mean, you know, like. It's bad. It's, it's. Yeah, what I I think, you know, what's, I want to say this the right way. I think, Ronnie, that in too many instances, the conditions of our HBCUs are a mere reflection of our condition as a people. Absolutely. And and that's what's so deeply disturbing to me that, you know, it it reminds me of, um, I used to be a therapist uh, in corrections at a a level, uh, a maximum level facility for adjudicated youth. And one of the things that I was constantly in conversation with my colleagues and superiors about is how egregious the the recidivism rate was and the reason why the recidivism rate was so high is because you can do any number of things to try to rehabilitate people but if you're sending them back into the same circumstances and you have not given them the appropriate tools not to survive the circumstance but to be instrumental in changing to in reforming the circumstance, then you get more of the same, right? So what does that look like in our HBCUs? You have, and and we know that everybody that comes to an HBCU is not from an impoverished community or an impoverished family, but, but there is, you know, we know poverty is real, 
but there is such a thing as an impoverished mindset, right? So if you, some of these individuals that are in attendance at our HBCUs, if you go into their communities, there's no surprise that the, that the community from which they've come looks very similar to the HBCU campuses that right. they're on. You see why I made the comparison? Yeah, because that mindset, it's mm -hmm. like you, you and, and here's the thing, you can go, I remember Ronnie, when I, when I first moved to Florida and was working at FAMU and me, you know, me and my interesting logic, one of the things that I said to my colleagues, I said, I have no idea why, I said, take me to your projects. And they're like, what? I said, take me to your projects. I want to see your projects. And mm -hmm. I did. I, I wanted to see, because I had heard so many horror stories about the, the, the bottoms and, and, you know, what it looked. And I was just curious to see if it was a representation of what I had heard. Mm -hmm. And at least in Tallahassee, what they viewed as impoverished living was a step above, a couple of steps above actually where I come from, right? Mm -hmm. But what I found so interesting is that even though those individuals were living at that level of poverty, Ronnie, there was a sense of pride. It right. wasn't dirty. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a mess. People actually took pride in where they were living. And I think that that's <clears throat> part of it, is right. right? Just because you come from an impoverished environment doesn't give you a license to not take care of what you do have. You know, it doesn't have to be trash strewn here, there, and everywhere. It doesn't have to be, you know, cracked by, you know what I mean? And, and I, th I think that's part of the problem. I think that's part of the problem. It's just. And that, and that, and, and to right. your point, I think, you know, and I'm glad you said that because one of the, I was actually having this conversation with my supervisor yesterday and, and, and we'll wrap this up so we can get into our topic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we touched on this a, a couple of shows ago where I said, you know, as therapists, you know, you know, we can do we can do a lot of things individually with people, but mm -hmm. until we can repair the systems at mm -hmm. which a lot of us have been systemically, you know, mm -hmm. um, disenfranchised and disadvantaged with, mm -hmm. you know, we'll still continue to see these same problems with the new generation, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I always tell people like a lot of people's mental health issues stem from a lack of credible resources, tangible resources yeah. for the community. Yeah. And, you know, they always say the statistics, you know, the black dollar stays in the community for like six minutes where, you know, other dollars stay within their communities, you know, all these, I don't know how the hell they calculate that. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, this ain't the fifties no more where we just got segregated communities. So I don't know how you measure that, but Hey, to each his own. Um, but yeah, I, I think as a, as a collective, we have to do better, you know, and I, and yeah. I said, I just saw where, 1% of Bethune-Cookman's budget is, is from the 1% 1, 1 of that is alumni donations and contributions of their entire budget. 1%. It, it just makes up 1%. Wow. So if we can't have these schools raise their capital, raise their investments from within, we will always, I said this about Virginia State and I said this about other HBCUs, don't be, don't uh, f mess around and get, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, where they come in and take over. Um, gentrification yeah 
I said, be careful of these HBCUs being gentrified by, by the states because we see that Virginia State got 150 million from the state, Norfolk State got 150 million. Mm-hmm. Granted, you know, hey, y'all probably supposed to give us that money anyways, but once again, what do we know about states? States don't just give people money, especially black people money without no type of agenda behind it or no like, hey, well, we did this it's for catch. you, now we need this. So, you yeah. know, that's all I'm saying. If we don't want that to happen to our HBCUs, then we have to find a way as alumni and people to come together and help these schools raise their capital so they can have their own money to fund their own projects and everything yeah. and not always having to wait on a state to bail them out. That's yeah. all I'm gonna say on that. Well, I will, well, let me- Oh, go ahead, I'm because, sorry. No, 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 you're fine. I'm, I'm gonna toss it back to you because it's a segue, right? So one of the things that I, as you're gonna getting ready to tell them the specific topic that we're covering today, but the topic that we're covering today, I want to, my contribution to our discussion today is going to be the, the psychological element around lifestyles and how hmm. that informs how the athlete hmm. is showing up and performing in the whole nine yards. So even though it, it didn't seem like it was connected, the preliminary part of our discussion, it's very much connected. Um, and I'm gonna connect the dots for our, our listening audience. So go ahead. Right. I, I forgot we didn't even talked about what today's topic is. So today's topic, you all, is um, athletic style. You know, in any movement or sport, there are essentially four physical traits an athlete will have to display the or use strength, speed, conditioning and positioning. You know, athlete style is the foundation of their well-being and potential. It is the set of habits and attitudes that form the pattern of how they go about their daily lives and performance. Understanding optimal performance requires self-awareness about how lifestyles affect your readiness to train, compete, and win. That was a beautiful intro, Dr. Pitts. You know what? You you should write a book or two. What's wrong with you, man? So yeah, so you know, when we think about when we when we think about athletic styles and everything, like you said, there are four main physical traits that all athletes, regardless of what sport you play, Mm -hmm. always always keep in mind their strength, their speed, their conditioning and positioning. Now, one of the things I've always heard, and, and this doesn't reign true in every sport, but a sport like football, this reigns true. There are two things that a coach can never coach, speed and size. Mm-hmm. If somebody walk out on a football field and they 17 years old, 6'4", 320, 12% body fat, Run a run a four nine forty absolute dog. That sounds like a god. Uh, what you want me to add to that? What 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 I need to add to that? You want you want to make this better? <laughs> or or you got somebody who come out there, run a four two forty. Hey, bro, he just faster than you. I mean, what you want me to do? He mm-hmm. just faster, like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I'm not saying that to be discouraging to our athletes out there who are, you know, not at the professional level, the collegiate level, like, well, well, dang, if I'm not 6'4", 320, I can't go nowhere. If I run a 4'2", I can't go nowhere. Sure you can. can. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, there is a a difference between people who, you know, are, are born with it and those who have to work for it, you know, nothing wrong with either. You know, one of my favorite sports quotes was always is, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Say it again. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm, okay. And that, and that really reigns true. 
you can you can be the most talented athlete in the world, but if you don't work at your craft, somebody mm-hmm. who might not might might not be a quarter of your talent mm-hmm. will have, has the mindset of being an absolute you. on that field. Can have can outperform you. Will beat you every single in. time. Because they're putting the work in. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, you know, um, when we think about athletic styles and everything, you know, mm-hmm. as an athlete, you know, what does it look like being able to work on these four traits and things like that? You know, as far as let's even take um, the first one, we have strength, right? Mm-hmm. You know, strength is important in every sport, right? You know, physical strength and mental strength, you know, mm-hmm. that's also another key one, physical strength and mental strength. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I always tell athletes is, you know, you always have to be able to check in with yourself and assess your body, you know, mm-hmm. during the season, off season, things like that. You have to be able to check in with your body and know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important because like we were just talking about at the beginning of the show, as the season wears on that hundred percent that you might've been at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. slowly but surely starts to come on down, you know, where now 90% feels like a hundred percent, 85% feels like a hundred percent. By the end of the season, 60% might be as close to a hundred percent as you're going to get. But mm-hmm. that's just under the, you know, you've been through a whole season banging on people and stuff and stuff like that. So yeah, having good physical strength, but also being able to keep it. You know, that's another thing too. One of the things that I always notice during football season is that, you know, the strength that I had beginning of the season, you know, I used to have to work extra hard just to maintain it during the season. Mm-hmm. Why? Because A, we're not lifting as much as we are during the off season. We're doing mm-hmm. more running. We're doing more physical exertion and stuff like that. Some days I might not eat as much as I'm supposed to and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, re- I'm not rebuilding my muscles. I'm not putting the proper nutrients back in my body. All mm-hmm. these little things can go into, can go into how, your, how your traits respond and everything, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to strength. If mm-hmm. you're not refueling your body the way you're supposed to, if you're not eating the proper amount of protein, proper fats, proper carbs and everything, if you're not giving your body enough time to rest, which I know I didn't do in college, I didn't give my body barely any chance to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, these can have, you know, long lasting effect, long lasting impacts on you on the field and off the field. Um, the injuries. Yeah. The injuries. Absolutely. Like injuries. when you talk about strength, the first thing that comes to mind, and I know we'll talk about it at the end, but Jalen Hurts, right? One of the things that right. they talk about all the time was, is it bench press or squat? Whatever it is, it's 600 squat. pounds. All it's, of it. The, 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 look, not, well, he yeah, bench press 600 That part right there. It's 600 pounds. That's what locked in my head is that this man is, is, can manage 600 pounds. You ever had 600 pounds on your back before? Hey, look, I will say this though. See, once you get past about, what is it? Four, five plates is 495. Six plates is five. When you get to six plates on either side, you unrack that rack and you take them little two baby steps back. Talking about like knee, you can't see my knees right now, but you talking about your legs just starting to shaking and gyrating a little bit with that weight. And then I, you know, squat used to be my favorite. I, I ain't gonna go on no tangent, but squat used to be my favorite exercise because mm-hmm. it's kind squats resemble life. You know, we care, we, we pick up burdens, we carry burdens, mm-hmm. we just add it, add it, add it. And you can do mm-hmm. one of two things. You drop down, mm-hmm. you can either fall with it, mm-hmm. or you can bring it right back on up. That's a good analogy, Ronnie. That's really, really good. And it and it's to to add to that, right? It's like they always show that people are spotting you, right? When you're yeah. when you're when you're bringing up that type of weight, and then you 
when you talk about how strength diminishes throughout the season, so how does connect the dots for the audience? So for example, hypothetically, right? Cause we don't know, but hypothetically right. in Jalen Hurts situation, okay, he got, he sustained a shoulder injury. So it's reasonable to, to suggest he's not lifting that type of weight, like his, his shoulder, there's no mm-hmm. way he can do that. So how does you, you go from 600 pounds to a serious shoulder injury that you, you can't put that type of pressure on it? What does that look like within the, the, through the lens of diminishing strength? And how does that <clears throat> impact his style of performing on the field? He's got a big game coming up tomorrow. So one, so one thing I will say is like one of the kind of the, the, the shifts in mindset from off season and, and um, training camp to, you know, during the season is that, you know, mm-hmm. obviously during the off season, we're, you know, trying to get bigger, stronger, faster. That's every mm-hmm. strength coach across America will say those same. We're trying to get bigger, stronger, faster. Mm-hmm. It's all we're working on during the off season, getting bigger, stronger, mm-hmm. faster, bigger, stronger, faster, bigger, strong. You just hear it so much. You just be like, mm-hmm. right, I don't want to, I don't want to do that no more. Mm-hmm. Um, when the season starts, it goes from not necessarily getting bigger, stronger, faster to how can we maintain as much of this for as long mm-hmm. as humanly possible during the season? Okay. Because just naturally, as the season wears on, a couple of things happen. Your body starts to develop a certain resistance to the cardiovascular activity that you're doing day in and day out. Give mm-hmm. you an example. When, when, um, when uh, training camp starts in the summertime, right? We have mm-hmm. to weigh in before practice and weigh in after practice, right? You know, typically on a hot summer day and everything, you know, on average, you might lose anywhere from like, I'd say four to seven pounds of water weight on a given mm-hmm. practice, just mm-hmm. depending on your body size type and stuff like that. For me, mm-hmm. I would always lose on average about about six to nine pounds per practice. You know, I'm, I'm a lot bigger. Wow carry more water weight, obviously. So, you know, my mm-hmm. water weight used to fluctuate a lot. And the, the rule was, is for every pound that you were different after practice as you were before practice, that equals one bottle of water you had to drink to make it up. So for me, wow. if I lost seven pounds during a practice, out between the after practice and going to sleep, I would need to drink seven more bottles of water to get my weight back up. Oh, wow. With strength training, it was kind of like what we would do is on during the week is so... We would lift Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays during the mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. On Tuesdays was more of our like kind of a heavy day. Not not your max, but maybe somewhere between 70 and 80% of your max. So mm-hmm. like, for example, if Jalen Hurts is squatting 600 pounds during the season, he might do anywhere from 50% to about 70, 80% of that during okay. the season. Because mm-hmm. it's not about it's not about maintaining that peak strength. And for those out there, when, you know, when you do a one rep max or a three rep max or whatever the case may be, Mm-hmm. that's just for bragging rights. You know, that's just for, you know, to look good on paper. Like, oh, I bench press, you know, 685 or, you know, I, I, I squat 685. All mm-hmm. right, cool. But typically your working sets are, you know, half of that to about three quarters of that. And that's what you mm-hmm. work with. That's where you do most mm-hmm. of your work and stuff like that to maintain. Mm-hmm. So now he gets the shoulder injury. He probably can't have his shoulder like this and everything on the squat rack and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. they do have variation bars and whatnot. They have, I can't think of the proper name of it, but they have a squat bar that has handles that come out like this. Okay. So as far as having your hands like this, you just have your hands like this holding these two other bars that hold the bar that goes across your shoulders and Mm -hmm. that helps you squat. That's an Mm -hmm. option. Mm -hmm. Um, He might've been doing leg press. 
which, you know, leg press is in a, a leg press is really like a quarter squat for people who don't like the squat because mm-hmm. on leg press, the way you're positioned, it's kind of hard for you to get a natural 90 degree bend of your legs you mm-hmm. know, and then push back out. Um, so for us during the season, it was always about just maintaining whatever strength you had at that moment. Mm-hmm. So like on Thursday, for example, Thursday would kind of be like, you know, high reps, low weight type of things, just kind of get the muscles going, get the muscles loose and everything. We used to call it TV arm Thursdays because it would be a lot of arm work, you know, get the blood flowing mm-hmm. in your arms and everything. Now, Sundays, the day after the game, Sundays would be a heavy workload day. Oh, um, wow. it would be it would be heavy with like kind of like um, like we would do dumbbell bench. We would do um, power cleans. We would do um, a lot of mobility work and stuff like that. And then they go out mm-hmm. and run us to death afterwards, you know, so. <laughs> run. But. Typically, we were always taught during the season, you know, maintain the strength that you do have, mm-hmm. you know, and there are some instances there are, and, and this is what we, you know, the difference between, you know, genetics and, you know, just working hard. There mm-hmm. are some genetic freaks out here who during the season, they can get stronger. Wow. Like I've seen that happen before. Like in high school, we used to, um, we used to do a, uh, for homecoming week, we would get catered after the last practice of the week, we would get barbecue catered for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but who ate first, depending on who would power clean the most. So we oh, would wow. have a power clean test at the beginning of the season and then a power clean test on our homecoming week and whoever would power clean the highest, that's, that's the order in which you ate. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, we would have players during the season who would actually increase their power clean max during the season. Wow. Um, so there are some instances where some players during the season can actually see themselves getting stronger or maintaining mm-hmm. a higher level of strength than they thought they could during the season. It just depends on how you're feeling your body, how you're getting your rest and everything. And are you taking care mm-hmm. of yourself in between workouts and um, practicing mm-hmm. games and stuff? So um, it varies. But for the most part, off season is where you get bigger, stronger, faster during the mm-hmm. season. How can we maintain that? How can we maintain your explosiveness? How can we maintain the strength you have? And also, how can we prevent any, you know, any lingering injuries or any new injuries from coming about? I want to connect the bigger, stronger, faster to life outside of performance. Because when you, and you, you said the magic word um, in our preliminary discussion about the systemic piece, right? Mm-hmm. And when we think about the bigger, stronger, faster, as it relates to thoughts, emotions, and physical responses, it's it circles back to the example that I gave last week about the chain breaking activity, right? The, you have these experiences that you go through in life within the, within the field of play and outside of play, right? And it's right. these experiences that are um, pain evoking or fear evoking. And you know we know that both of those are very, very, very present in athletic performance. So you have these experiences that result in some sort of specific fear. Do I have a job? Am I gonna be able to come back from this injury? And am I, am I going to be as strong, as fast? You know, am, am I gonna have those key things after I've sustained this injury in the playoffs? Um, or because we didn't, do as well as we had hoped that we would do. What does that look like for contract negotiations? Oh, by the way, 
at the pro level, right? Uh, I'm about to become a free agent this season mm -hmm. and, and all of that. So there's fears around that. Look at Lamar. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, crap. Now, the one of the, the, the things that comes up is this step three part, Ronnie. The negative feelings that I have about myself. Oh, darn. Mm -hmm. Blew it again. I threw two more picks. We didn't get past the, you know, we didn't get to the third round of the playoffs. What does that mean? I didn't, you know, as a coach, did we do as well as we could? I, it, when I think about the press conference when the Bills lost, right, and and Josh Allen and 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 what the coach was saying and all of these things. Oh, so now I've got some negative feelings about myself as it relates to the experiences and the subsequent fears. What do we know to be true? Oh crap! And we didn't even talk about this. Um, Brian Leftwich getting fired. Well, Brian Leftwich and a whole bunch of people from the 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 um, the offensive side of, of the ball with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing their jobs. So now I've got these negative feelings about myself. How is that informing how I express myself and mm -hmm. how I act within my athletic performance? Mm -hmm. How is that impacting me outside of my athletic performance? And what is the negative self-talk that mm. I have as it relates to all of that? And then that connective tissue, if you will, is mm. my interpretation of everything. And you've said it time and time again, it's not just the Dallas Cowboys. It's not just Jackson State. When you are the quarterback, there is so much, the coaches and the quarterback oftentimes seem to carry the brunt of the weight of the team when they're not doing as well as they had hoped. How does all of that inform your performance? How does all of that contribute to the diminishing of your strength, the diminishing of your, what would you said, strength, faster? Tell, tell, tell me again what they were, Ronnie. Strength, speed, uh, oh, the, oh, the, uh, oh, bigger, stronger, faster. Bigger, stronger, faster. Does it, because you, you said some people will actually increase during the off season, right? Mm -hmm. Does that substandard or mediocre experience of hypothetically, you know, the Buffalo Bills, they've never won a Super Bowl, not going again, right? right. Does that inform whether or not those players kick their com their commitment up to a whole nother level to get faster, stronger, and and whatever, it's all connected. And right. and and oh, by the way, when you look at it from take that systemic piece a step further, how many households were dis disharm were full of disharmony in the last week? <laughs> probably probably one too probably one too many households were definitely you know that the stuff was just. The tight dinner to look just ilky, you know. Ain't nobody. None of, none of my none of my Cowboys friends um, from Sunday night through like Tuesday was communicating with yeah. me. So I, I thought maybe my service had went bad or something. So um, yeah, no, nah, it was a lot of disgruntled folks out here. And the Bills, you know, Demar Hamlin and his family were at that game, right? Did you see it? I, you didn't. You didn't probably see it, but. Um, a lot of people were saying that wasn't DeMar Hamlin at the game. Are you serious? 
No, I yeah, didn't see that. Well, I mean. They showed so, him coming in to the stadium. No, no. They didn't show his face, though. You never, you never saw they, his you face. You saw his mom's face and his little brother's face. Saw the mom, right you saw the camera. brother. Even when, even when they panned into the suite, he and bundled he went up. Like this. You don't really. Up. Why would they fake that though? What, what would be the purpose of that? Hey, look, hey, all, all I know is on, on their tax, on their tax documents, the NFL is the entertainment business by by tax stats. You saw some. Uh, so, but why though? Why, why would they fake well, that? From what, what would I, be the benefit from, of that? From what I've seen, it was to, you know, CYA, as we therapists say, you know, it was mm-hmm. a CYA move because had, you know, I'm going to say, God forbid, he had actually, you know, actually ended up passing away. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFL probably would have had probably the concussion lawsuit was 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 a detriment. This lawsuit probably would have ended the NFL, um, you know, because there were a lot of things coming out now about, you know, um you know, what they said he had going on versus what's real. Because um, mm-hmm. if you think about it, he hasn't done an interview with nobody else since he's been out. Now, granted, he might not want to, but, you know, they definitely didn't make them, the NFL didn't, didn't do themselves no favors last week. They knew that the game was going to be in, uh, you know, be, was, was it in Buffalo? Yeah, it was in Buffalo. It was in Buffalo, week. all that daggone snow. Right. <laughs> you know, but uh, just a couple, just a lot of things that didn't add up last week about that whole situation that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But I definitely was conspiring on a theory of what was going on. Um, mm. But anyway, back to what we were saying. Um, yeah. I think, you know, to your point, I, I think a lot of our athletes mindset always, and, and I think any athlete, regardless of the sport you play, we always want to know how can we be the best version of ourselves when we go mm-hmm. out on the field and perform. Mm-hmm. And once again, I think a lot of times what we see, and we see this a lot more now with the college athletes, where, you know, you might be the best in your area. You might mm-hmm. be you might be all district, all region, you know, all metro, all state. You mm-hmm. might be you might be Mr. Football, Mr. Basketball in your place and mm-hmm. whatever. But when you get around some dogs, mm-hmm. you know, like we see this now more with college students where like, you know, they get recruited by these big schools and everything. You know, Alabama got nothing but five stars sitting on their bench every single year and mm-hmm. everything. And when something doesn't go your way or something doesn't go right. You know, a lot of times they'll just end up leaving because it's like, well, I can't outwork him or I'm not going to be able to get past him. So I'm going to have to go elsewhere. For some people, that works out. But what we know to be true is in life, in real life, outside of the sports world. Let's say, for example, you know, you apply for a job, right? You let's say you apply for a clinical director position somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And. You, you know, you know, you know, clinical counseling like the back of your hand like mm-hmm. you know the bible like the back of your left hand you know therapy like the back <laughs> of your right hand like it's mm-hmm. just it goes hand it goes hand in hand for for dr pitts mm-hmm. you know but because somebody else has been there longer than you you know and things like that they say oh well you know she's just been here longer so we're good mm-hmm. a lot of times you can do one of two things you can say oh well f it i'm not gonna do this no more and just go you know find something else or you can be like well you know what I'm going to do what I have to do to get this position because I know I'm mm-hmm. qualified. I know I'm more fit for the job and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. But I think as far as like when it, as far as the, the mental part of it goes, like you said, like being able to have an awareness of yourself, being able to know you as the athlete, that's the mm-hmm. most important thing. Knowing your capabilities, knowing your limitations, mm-hmm. you know, for me, like I was 6'1", 275 in high school. Mm-hmm. My growth spurt had ended. 
and, and one of the things on on the promo we talked about was positioning and you know mm-hmm. being an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman that is all about positioning and it's all about technique it is all mm-hmm. about whoever gets their hands on the other person on the inside wins the low mm-hmm. man wins whoever comes mm-hmm. off the ball first wins whoever punches their hand first wins all mm-hmm. those things about positioning and technique are so intricate and so important it's mm-hmm. really like it's a beautiful game of martial arts and just barbarianism between mm-hmm. offense and defense alignment but it's mm-hmm. a sweet science to it there's a science to the chaos that you see on tv and for me i know i wasn't the biggest strongest or fastest lineman you mm-hmm. know i wasn't the biggest i wasn't the strongest and i wasn't the fastest so for me positioning technique was something that I knew I had to master. I had to master the technique. For example, and I'm not, not to get too technical and everything, but me playing center in high, in college, right? You know, we ran a, a, a zone run scheme, meaning that we, you know, tried to whatever, whatever hole was the best hole for that side, that's where the mm-hmm. running back would go. He has mm-hmm. an ideal hole, but he also has these other holes that he can fall back on in the event the main hole doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. So in some instances, if we were running an inside zone play to the left or right, and we were running it to the strong side, meaning we were running it to the shade, the, the one technique who is the inside show, the inside shade of the mm-hmm. guard. That's a pretty easy, that's a pretty easy block for me. Now, I don't ne- mm-hmm. I don't need much assistance with that. Mm-hmm. Now with a three technique, now three technique plays on the outside shoulder of the of the guard. So if mm-hmm. I'm the center and there's a guard beside me to my left the defensive lineman is going to be on his outside shoulder away from me. Mm-hmm. Now that's, now that's a, that, that's a block right there. Mm-hmm. But as a center, sometimes your job requires you to have to get over there, get in front of him and block him to a way where he can't get to the running back. Mm-hmm. Now I always tell people y'all should go look at these, these uh, linemen highlights because these are dancing bears out there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to tell you these some dancing bears out there. All right. You hear me? Hey, it's men so that big should not be able to move that nimble. But it's like ballet out there. Like you have to be quick on your feet. You have to be light on your feet, but you have to have a solid base, run your feet through the block and hold your man. But that takes technique. That takes practice. And for me, I knew I might not be able to outmuscle somebody. I might not mm-hmm. be able to be bigger than them, but I knew for a fact that I was mm-hmm. going to out-technique you. And if I could out-technique you, I like my chances more times than not. We're almost out of time. I got, I want, I got one more thing I want to throw at you and I want you to tease it out because everything that you said makes me question the role that focus plays in Mm. achieving being stronger, faster, your positioning your like all of that that holistically is tied together to increase your performance i want you to touch on it from that aspect but then i want you to to finalize our discussion today ronnie and helping our listeners to understand how things going on in your life outside of your athletic involvement Mm. can compromise your focus and thus compromise everything else that we've talked about today, which diminishes, (laughs) could potentially diminish your performance. Absolutely. 
Um, I, I, and I actually live by that. Um, that's one of my that's one of my principles that I have. And uh, I was actually watching um, Coach Prime's documentary last night. And mm -hmm. oddly enough, that was one of the first things he said um, to his coaches. He was like, when you're at work, be at work. When mm -hmm. you're at home, be at home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me, I used to always hear coaches say, when you walk on this field right here, everything that's going on outside of this field, in your head, in your life, around you, friends, family, all of that, None of that means nothing mm. when you walk on this field. When mm -hmm. you walk on this field, it is about the team. It is about you. It is about us. It is mm -hmm. about being here for however long we're on the field. It's about mm -hmm. being here, being mm -hmm. present. And for me, and, I, and I've shared this before, football was my therapy. Football was my, my coping skill, you mm -hmm. know, for you know things I saw at home, for things that I you know dealt with growing up, and things like that. Anytime I had an issue, football was my therapy and my answer for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I could go out there and literally escape the world. Like mm. you know, didn't matter if practice was two hours or four hours, I could escape the world being on that field. Okay. Now, now what I will say is though, as an athlete, and I think a lot of athletes, you know. Um, do this too, especially young athletes is, is one thing separating home from the sport. Mm -hmm. But when you love something, it's hard to separate the sport from the other parts of your life. And, you know, and we mm -hmm. talked, and we've talked about that a lot, you know, how a lot of times, and, and I was a victim of this, you know, like where it was football or nothing, you know, mm -hmm. everything was about football. Mm -hmm. School was about football. My friends was about football. Relationships was about football. Like, it was football, football, football. You know, I gave so much of me to football that it was easy for me to give less to the other things because they weren't fulfilling. They weren't rewarding. They weren't, they didn't, I didn't get that dopamine kick from those mm -hmm. other things like I did mm -hmm. from football. You just, so I do have to ask you this then, based upon what you just said, do you think that it's important for athletes to have a high level of emotional intelligence? Yes, absolutely. Tell, our, tell not, our audience why. I did not have a high level of emotional intelligence. Um, and, and, I've, and I've shared this before. Um, one of the, the, the biggest detriments for me being so football centric and football focused throughout you know, the, the early years of my life Mm -hmm. um, was that when football was no longer the escape, when football, fo when football could no longer be the therapy that I need. And, and let me be real distinct about this because I'm pretty sure somebody listening will be like, well, why don't you just go coach football? Why don't you just stay around a team or something? Mm -hmm. There's a vast difference. And any athlete will tell you, there's a vast difference in playing the sport, mm -hmm. coaching the sport, being around the sport, mm -hmm. you know, or being I an analyst for the sport. <laughs> I keep football around me in some way, shape or form all the time. Whether mm -hmm. I'm watching it, watching a YouTube video about football, reading mm -hmm. about football, like I keep mm -hmm. football in my life at some point or another. But being able to play, being able to go out there and be a part of the reason why something was happening, mm -hmm. when that was taken, mm -hmm. I realized that so much of how I dealt with life mm -hmm. was wrapped up into something that whether I wanted to admit it or not, was not going to be able to be that, that coping skill for me moving forward. 
And because of that, I, I struggled for a couple of years. You know, I, I you know, <laughs> Ronnie in 2015 to 2016 is a whole lot different than 2023, you know, yeah. like, but I say all that to say, you know, having supreme focus during the moment of your sport is absolutely key to being the best version of yourself. But mm-hmm. don't allow that focus to eviscerate all the other things we have to focus on in life either. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we pour into being an athlete, as much as we pour into being a football, basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever the case may be, you have to pour that into your other areas of your life too. There's one thing we know to be true about every athlete, no matter how great they are, from Tom Brady all the way down to me. There will be a day where putting your cleats on will not be for a competitive thing anymore. And when that happens, you have to be able to shift that focus and adjust you know don't be like me y'all you can love something but don't don't allow it to to consume you and, and ruin you in a sense and i'm not saying football ruined me but i didn't have a healthy relationship with football that most people yeah. should have with sports and and that's you know one of the reasons why i work with a lot of athletes and stuff now is helping them put it in perspective of yeah what you do as a football player is not who you are right. it's just what you do yeah you know, when you take those cleats off, when you take those shoulder pads off and put the helmet in your locker and everything, you walk out that locker room, you're no longer a football player. You're mm-hmm. Ronnie, you're, you're Brian, you're uh, Ed, you're whoever you are outside mm-hmm. of under that helmet. Mm-hmm. You can't wear that helmet around everywhere you go. Otherwise, people look mm-hmm. at you like you're crazy. Right, right. <laughs> so stupid. I think that... <laughs> You know, I just got this crazy vision. Um, I think. Oh, right. So the whole helmet right. on. Right. The visor like, on and everything. In the world. Um, I think to just tie it all together with a pretty bow, what we're saying, folks, is that for athletes, for coaches, for trainers, whatever your role is in the athletic arena, your style will best serve you if it's a systemic style because mm. your 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 sport is just one part of the whole system that contributes to your ability to function at your best and we heard it in, you know, in the beginning of the season when Tom Brady was going through what he was going through and they were like, oh, he, you know, his, he was out of sorts, right? His, his focus was off. And, and what we know to be true is that, you know, whether it's the death of a love, we see a lot of players who will lose a, a parent or a loved one and they'll play today at a funeral and all types of stuff, right? And so your style, your style is holistic, and is systemic. And in order for you, I believe, and I believe we believe that in order for you to achieve peak performance, it is imperative that every piece of the system that informs how you're performing, Mm -hmm. it's necessary for each part of your system to be healthy in order for you to truly achieve 
maximum peak performance. If there's any part that's not where it needs to be, it eventually is going to show up in your athletic performance beyond the shadow of a doubt. That's why you, you'll hear when, you know, during basketball teams, people will get, get your head in the game, get your head in the game. What do you do? That's an indication that there's a piece of your system, if you will, metaphorically, that has a flat tire. So look, folks, um, Ronnie, you want to give your picks real quick, and then we can be on our merry way today. Sure. Yeah. So um, for the AFC championship game between the Chiefs and the Bengals, um, as much as I love uh, my homeboy and the Chiefs, um, I do not love their defense at all. Um, and I think that is going to be the deciding factor out of the four remaining teams. The Chiefs mm -hmm. by far have the worst defense of the remaining four teams. Mm -hmm. One of the better offenses, but their defense has a lot left to be desired. Mm -hmm. So I have Cincinnati. Um, winning against Kansas City. Um, their last three games have been decided either by seven points or three points, so I think it'll be mm -hmm. somewhere in that range. I'll mm -hmm. give it 35-31 uh, Cincinnati. Um, okay. For the other game, um, and I know I know your husband. He listening. I know he listening. He listening, Ron. I know he was waiting. I know he was I was waiting. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> Um, I, now I will say though, as far as matchups go, I can't think of another time, maybe, maybe the early 2000s Ravens and Steelers, like maybe like 05, 06, had there been a matchup where across every position group, it's almost like we really don't know who has the advantage. The only position group between both teams that one team has a clear advantage is the Eagles at quarterback. Mm -hmm. Running back, I would say San Francisco is slightly better. Receiving mm -hmm. core, I say is a push. I think both of them are really good. Offensive line and defensive line, I might give the slight edge to mm -hmm. Philly's offensive line, but San Francisco offensive line is nothing to shake a finger at. Mm -hmm. The defensive lines, oh my God, like, oh, it's going to be a really good game. It's going to be a really good game. But see, I like a little, I like, I, you know, I, I like a little chaos. You know, I'm not perfect, y'all. I'm not perfect, you know, you know, God not done with me yet. I'm a, I, so I like a little chaos here and there. So I want to see the 49ers win. Um, honestly, I want to see the win because I want to see Brock Purdy become the first rookie and God knows how long won a Super Bowl. But I also want to see how San Francisco handles that because. They traded almost their entire life savings to get Trey Lance two years ago. And then they have Jimmy G that they've held on to for the last three years and don't want to get rid of him. But now you have this third string quarterback who literally came in and won you all the Super Bowl. Playing like a rock star. Right. So, but once again, too, will Brock Purdy wake up tomorrow and realize that, oh, snap, I'm the last pick in the draft and I'm about to go play the NFC Championship game. This is going to be scary. I don't think that. I think I think San Francisco will win a close game. I got San Francisco. I got a low scoring game. I got San Francisco winning 21. I'm gonna say 21 17. I'm gonna say 21 17. Um I'm with you on the Kansas City Bengals game. I I love Andy Reid. Um I really want the Chiefs to 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 pull out a miraculous win. But with Mahomes being hurt, I just don't know 
that they're going that he's going to be able to work his magic um because even right. when you know even with the defense playing poorly like he he you know he got a magic at on the bench did <laughs> he pulls tricks out of um I just with him being injured and because of the nature of his injury I just don't know that they're going to be able to pull it off but I hope that they do because I like Andy Reid um I having been to games at the link and back when it was the vet um and knowing how hostile Philly is I don't think that Brock Purdy is going to wake up and be shook I don't but I think that if there is a team in the league that can remind him that he's a third string quarterback, even though he's been playing really, 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 really well, I honestly, and, and let's, let's be honest. And I say this with the utmost respect, Philly has been known to play dirty sometime. Oh, yeah. um, they, you know, it's, it's not beneath them. You know, nobody would ever say it publicly, not like Sean Payton at the saints. They're not going to make a public service announcement that there's, that there's a true bounty on somebody's head. Um, but I think they're gonna light him up. Oh, and I man. think that if if they can get after him, that you know they're coming for him like they and Philly, they get to fighting. See, oh, I was yeah. surprised that we did that that we didn't get to fight with the 49ers, but Philly, they they fight like they, they you said they put a, a, a 49er shirt on Rocky. Yeah, you know, so it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a I, game. I believe it's going to be a whole, I think it's going to be a very, very, very violent game. I think that it's going to be a very, very physical game, both mm-hmm. with the 12th man and the teams on the field. I just think that the energy in that state, every cut, like if you want to rob a bank or convenience store, gas station or anything, tomorrow's the time to do it in Philadelphia because all the cops are going to be at the link. <laughs> like, all of them. Every precinct. Well, we didn't tell you to do that, though. We didn't tell y'all to do that. Yeah, we didn't tell you. To do, we didn't tell you. We wasn't advising you to do that. Um, but I do. I think that I think because of that, I really, 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 really do believe that Philly has a really, really, really good chance to pull this out and to go to the Super Bowl for the second time in six years. Um, and quite frankly, I'm sick of the 49ers, and I'm not an Eagles fan. But I want Uh-oh. them to beat the 49ers so I can tell my Uh-oh. dad, see, <laughs> see, dad. <laughs> that's, okay. that's what I want. Got you. Dr. Piss, before we wrap up. Yep, yep. One last question. Yep. Where were you January 28th, 1996? <laughs> You know where I was. I was watching the Super Bowl. 27 years. Right. It is, and you know what's so funny to me is people talk about that. And it is. It has been a really, 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 really long time. The encouraging part for me, though, is they were not one of the 12 teams that haven't won anything. So I hold on to that. I hold on to that. And it's like. Five rings is better than none. Um, and I, you know, I just, I don't know what it's going to take. Um, I don't know because it's not talent. It's not a lack of talent. So whatever what it was, yeah, whatever the other pieces are, they need to get them fixed um, and they need to get them fixed 
face. The only piece, the only piece that y'all really need to get fixed is the the owner, the CEO, the COO, the general manager. He ain't going nowhere. President. So they got to come up with a plan B. They have I mean, to come well, up unless, with a plan B. I mean, unless he, is he got a, access, unless he got access to vibranium, he you gonna be about it as soon. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's eighty, and then it'll go to Steven. So, um, I think I think his son is a little bit more um, progressive. Yeah, I think he's a little bit more. Pro, yeah. pro, there you go. That's a great. That's a that's a great. That's why I like you. That part right there. Send us home, man. We out of here. I gotta go get my nails did. You should get you should get them painted. You should get them painted uh Philly green. I'm not getting them painted green. I'm getting them painted pink. (laughs) Getting ready for Valentine's Day. No, I I would never wear pink nail polish. (laughs) I don't know what color I'm getting. And I'm not even a pink person, but look, Ronnie, I need prayer. It's my prayer. This is my prayer, Odie. Is it is it? It says prayer. The Lord, the Lord got to see this bright pink. He yeah. got to see this now. Looking I need, down at me. I need this is my my prayer. This is my prayer hoodie, and it's cold yeah. here in Texas right now. I'm I heard y'all have some snow. Yeah, and it's supposed to snow again this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. Oh, we've been getting it. I need disrespectified, but yeah, I'm about to go get my nails done and then go to the grocery store and get stuff. So my husband know he lets me cooking tacos for dinner. Okay, well, look, tacos Saturday. Well, look, you all. Appreciate you all logging in and joining us once again. We hope everybody has a beautiful weekend. Enjoy some good football. I think these games are going to be really, really good. So check us back next week. We'll holler at y'all.